The week-long 20th National Congress of the Communist Party of China is underway in Beijing. More than 2,000 delegates representing 96 million CPC members from across China are gathering in the Chinese capital to chart the course for the party and the country for the next five years. The delegates come from various walks of life and have played important roles in the fields of economic construction, scientific innovation and cultural development and so on. In this special edition of Footprints, we tell the stories of three delegates, a village party chief, a chemist and an archaeologist, to see what they have done for the people and the country in their respective fields. My biggest dream is for every one of our rose farmers to stop worrying about their income and get rich together. Scientific work may seem dull, but if you love it from the bottom of your heart, you can harvest one success after another. First and foremost, I'm a gatekeeper for the cultural relics. I must preserve our cultural tradition well. Stay tuned to learn the details of their stories. Every summer in the scorching sun, Chen Longhui, dressed in traditional Tibetan dress, joins local villagers picking roses in Maoshui village, a high-altitude mountainous area of Xiaojing County, southwest China. For more than 10 years, Chun, an ethnic Tibetan, has been living la vie en rose to some extent. Not only did she teach herself to grow and make products out of roses, but also provide jobs for local people by teaching them planting and processing skills, which has boosted the income of nearly 20,000 people. According to Chun, her rosy journey began with an accidental observation. Over a decade ago, the villagers primarily relied on growing low-value crops like corn, beans and potatoes to make a living. But with their harvests constantly ruined by wild boars in the mountains, there was never much left for them to sell. The villagers had to find a way out. While examining the damaged farmland one day, Chun Wanghui, as the head villager, discovered that among the destroyed farmland there stood a rose bush left intact and unharmed. Back then, people barely gave a second look to wild roses, growing randomly in the mountain. No one, that is, until Chun took the time to observe the surviving flowers with curiosity. I told my fellow villagers that I wish we could grow roses and change them into money. But the folks only thought I was joking. When we first heard that my sister wanted to grow roses on the farmland, we all thought it was unrealistic. Chen Wang Lun, Chung Wan Hui's brother, recalled that his sister's new idea didn't sell well at first. How can one make a living out of growing flowers? We didn't quite understand her thoughts back then. Chen Wang Hui would not give up on her idea. Instead, she went into town to do further research on it. From cake filling to essential oil, she learned about all kinds of products roses could be turned into and how much wealth it might bring to the village if she was to succeed. If rose petals could be made into pastries, why can't we make money out of it? With the information gathered, 
Chen Huanghui took her first dive into the uncharted water of rose planting by learning from existing businesses in other parts of China. All on her own, she travelled thousands of kilometres north in 2011 and visited regions known for their rose planting and processing industries. In three months, she returned to Maoshui Village with enough knowledge to launch a similar plantation industry in her hometown. There wasn't much spare money left in our village's public account, so I volunteered to purchase the rose seedlings that could cover four hectares of land. Then I distributed these seedlings to the villagers, encouraged them to join me. Chun and a few fellow villagers who willingly joined the new endeavors began their experiments on five different kinds of rose seedlings she brought back from other regions. It was as if Mother Nature was lending a helping hand. Located about 3,000 meters above sea level, Maoshui Village boasts abundant sunlight and a significant temperature gap between day and night, forming a perfect environment for roses to grow. Soon they found the best rose variety that could thrive locally. In the years that followed, bush after bush of roses started to grow all across Maoshui Village. Cheng Wanghui, now nicknamed Sister Rose by her fellow villagers, became the watcher of the land who looked after the flowers as if they were her babies, and her efforts paid off. Upon the flowering season in 2013, more than 200 kilograms of roses were harvested, and the outcome was fruitful. It turned out that the roses they had planted had a strong fragrance and high oil content that were more than enough to produce high-quality essential oil. I was so happy and couldn't help bursting into tears when I learned of this outcome. Encouraged by the success of Chun, more villagers gradually got involved in the rose business. In 2016, Chun became the party chief of Maoshui Village. In the same year, she arranged to establish a rose processing company with the support of the local county government. Meanwhile, since rose planting and flower picking requires no great physical exertion, Chen Wanghui invited the elders, women, and people with disabilities in Xiaojing County to work for the local rose industry. In the past, we could only grow corn, wheat, beans, and potato, most of which would be used to serve ourselves and feed livestock. Not much could be traded into income, but now our life has improved. Yu Fuliang, a villager from nearby, was one of the beneficiaries. With a disability in the right leg, Yu wasn't able to bring much income to his family until he was encouraged by local officials. To grow roses with help from Chun Wanghui, with a proud look on his face, Yu says his annual income has reached nearly eighty thousand yuan, or roughly eleven thousand U.S. dollars, which was quite enough for his small household of three people. In 2019, Xiaojing County, under whose jurisdiction Chun's Maoshui Village falls, was lifted out of poverty thanks partly to her rose business. As a CPC member and delegate to the 20th CPC National Congress, Chun says it is her duty to help and explore opportunities for the villagers. She says her next goal is to expand the market for the rose products, and for her, a life with roses has only just begun. Now let's take a short break. 
When we come back, we'll take a look at how a woman has shattered the glass ceiling to become one of the most famous scientists in China. Stay tuned. Welcome back. You're listening to Footprints. Molecular sieves have long been seen as a tough nut to crack in the research in inorganic chemistry. This microporous material, widely used in petroleum and energy industries, plays a significant role in environmental conservation and in realizing carbon neutrality. One female scientist from China has dedicated herself to this field for over three decades, making notable achievements. Her name is Yu Ji Hong, member of the Chinese Academy of Sciences and a professor at Jilin University, which is based in the northeastern city of Changchun. Yu's interest in chemistry started in the 1980s. In 1985, 18-year-old Yu Ji Hong, as the top graduate in her high school, was granted admission to Jilin University, a leading educational and scientific institution in China. There, Yu began her arduous journey in academic exploration. Ten years later, in 1995, she received a PhD degree in chemistry from the university and chose to work as a teacher and researcher at her alma mater. In the 1990s, traditional studies of molecular sieves hit a bottleneck. Yu's insistence on this challenging research direction was met with a lot of discouragement. There was a rising interest in the research of some new materials at that time. Some people advised me to follow that trend in order to make quicker progress. But I refused and stuck to my own choice. I was determined to make a difference in the field of molecular sieves through perseverance. In hindsight, Yu's choice proved to be worth it. Over the past 30 years, you and her team have overcome one difficulty after another in the design and synthesis of the molecular sieves. In 2016, one of their major discoveries was published in the world's top academic journal Science as a leading breakthrough in industrial catalysis and ion exchange. One year later, the International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry recognized her as distinguished in the field of chemistry and chemical engineering. Speaking of her past experiences, Yu Ji Hong says diligence, passion and perseverance have brought her to where she is today. For most of the time, what we encounter is failure rather than success in our work. Scientific work may seem dull, but if you love it from the bottom of your heart, you can harvest one success after another. While devoted to her chemistry research, Yu Ji Hong never forgets her duty as a teacher. Rushing back and forth, she is often seen busy giving lessons, revising papers and participating in academic conferences. Liu Jianzong is a PhD candidate at the School of Chemical Science in Jilin University under her supervision. Liu described Yu Ji Hong as too busy to have her own time after work. She often works late at night. When I leave the lab at 9 or 10 o'clock every night, I can see the light in her office still on. She is the one that fuels my interest in scientific research and makes me feel that it's something worth doing. 
Yu is deemed as the role model for her students, not only as a rigorous scientist, but also a pioneer that takes the spirit of innovation into every detail of her work. By introducing cutting-edge achievements in the field, Yu Ji Hong makes her classroom up-to-date with the newest developments in international academia. She often tells young scholars and students not to just follow suit, which she sees as the biggest danger to innovation and creation. Having won many domestic and international awards, the chemist still describes herself as an ordinary teacher and scientific worker, and also a member of the Communist Party of China. I joined the CPC on January 15, 1992. At that time, I was a postgraduate student. Growing up in a military family, my father always told me to love our party and our motherland. Since becoming a party member, I've always kept in mind that I should set a good example for people around me through my dedication and initiatives in my work. In June 2022, Yu was elected as a delegate to the 20th National Congress of the Communist Party of China. Now, let's take another break. When we come back, we'll find out how an archaeologist from Hubei province has made a difference in his field, just as Yu Jihong has done in science. Stay tuned. Welcome back. You're listening to Footprints. In the spring of 2022, Hubei Provincial Institute of Cultural Relics and Archaeology began a new round of excavation at the Shijiahe Relic Site in Tianmen City, Hubei Province. 53-year-old Fang Qin, director of the institute, is in charge of the excavation project. In 1989, I participated in the excavation work at the Shijiahe site as a university intern. At the time, we thought the relic site was an ancient irrigation system. One year later, Chinese archaeologists realized it was an ancient city as large as 1.25 square kilometers. This discovery enhanced my confidence and interest in the subject. It has played an important role in my life and career. The Shijiahe site, first discovered in the 1950s, is considered the largest scale prehistoric walled ruin ever found for the Neolithic period in the Yangtze River Basin. The site dates back to about 5,000 years ago. Feng says a batch of exquisite jade ware unearthed in the site has enriched and reshaped people's understanding of the development of Chinese civilization. The valuable items take the form of deity portraits, double-headed and conjoined half-circle jade rings. Fang and many other archaeologists agree that the sculpting skills of the jade wares were among the highest jade craftsmanship in prehistoric China. Actually, the Shijiahe excavation projects since the late 1980s have not only reshaped the world's understanding about prehistoric Chinese civilization, they have also defined Fang Qin's footsteps as an archaeologist and antiquarian. 
1991, two years after his field trip to the Shijiazhu site as an intern archaeologist, he graduated from Peking University and went back to his hometown, Hubei Province. Since then, Fang has immersed himself in excavating, researching and preserving cultural relics and in recent years in explaining and promulgating the hidden cultural messages from these unearthed treasures to the general public. Day after day, year after year, he worked tirelessly in the often tedious and unglamorous world of piecing together and deciphering the numerous items dating back to thousands of years ago. For his outstanding work in the field, he was appointed director of the Hubei Provincial Institute of Cultural Relics and Archaeology in 2013. Since that year, he has also been serving as curator of the Hubei Provincial Museum, an institution based in the city of Wuhan and home to 260,000 items of invaluable cultural relics. First and foremost, I'm a gatekeeper for the cultural relics. I must preserve our cultural tradition well. Only after preservation can we tell the stories of Chinese civilization and make it strike a chord with modern people through exhibitions, educational programs on televisions and by other means. In early 2020, the COVID-19 pandemic hit Wuhan. The whole city went into quarantine. In order to keep an eye on the cultural relics in the Hubei Provincial Museum, he led a 75-member team and moved inside the museum, staying there for more than 80 days. By staying inside the museum, we could deal with any emergencies concerning the treasures stored in the museum immediately. As a CPC member, it was my duty to play a leading role in times of difficulties and in crises. In recent years, this gatekeeper of culture has explored various means to better present the stories behind the cultural relics to the general public, especially young people. Under his guidance, the Hubei Museum has created more than 900 kinds of creative cultural products drawing inspiration from ancient antiques. In the summer of 2021, residents in Wuhan were thrilled by a newly issued public transportation card in the shape of the Gojian Sword, one of the museum's most noteworthy artifacts, dating back 2,500 years. One woman who only gave her name as Li applauded its design. It looks like it's a real artifact unearthed from an ancient tomb. I can feel the history within it. It's smaller than a normal transportation card. It's so beautiful. Fang feels proud whenever his creative and smart work has made it possible for ordinary people to appreciate the charms of China's cultural heritages. His name is now well known in China, as many ordinary Chinese try to recognize and understand its own tradition and culture. Ever a humble and modest man, Fang has never let fame become his goal. Instead, he has tried to make use of his fame to encourage young people to join his cause of discovering and explaining the roots of Chinese civilization. In July 2020, he sent an archaeological book named Marquis Yi of Zhang to Zhong Fang Rong, a young student who had just enrolled at his alma mater, Peking University. 
He wrote down a few words on the book to encourage Zhong to pursue her interest and passion in archaeology. As a branch of scholarship, archaeology needs constant practice. Being a kind of job, archaeology requires lifelong learning. And this is just what Fang has done and will continue to do. With that, we conclude this special edition of Footprints. Thanks for listening. I'm Bob Jones. If you're interested in hearing more about the lives of ordinary people in China, follow us on Apple Podcasts. Just key in Footprints and you can find more stories anytime, anywhere. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.